If you have a Bible, uh, I want you to open it to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. This is one of my favorite chapters in the whole Bible, so I'm excited to talk about part of it today. Uh, Romans is the sixth book in the New Testament, right? We have two parts of the Bible, the Old Testament, the New Testament. The New Testament is where Jesus comes on the scene, and you have the first four books of the Bible or the New Testament or the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Then you have the book of Acts, and then you have Romans, and that's where we're going to be. So find that, find chapter 8, we'll get to that in just a minute or two. Now this summer, we've been doing a series that we've called Summer Mixtape. Uh, the reason that's called that is because you're getting to hear from a bunch of different pastors and kind of like their greatest hits almost, like the things that they're most excited about right now, which is what a mixtape is. And many of you know this, some of you may not. Um, our lead pastor, Pastor Kyle, has been out on sabbatical all summer long, and he's coming back to preach on September 10th. All right, so three weeks from today, uh, we get to hear from the big dog. That's what, we, that's what we call him around here. It's not what we call him. Don't call him that. <laughs> he won't like it. Oh, no. Now everybody's going to do it. He's going to be like, what is going on? Hope he's not watching this right now. All right, but I'm excited to share with you something uh, that's just kind of been eating at me a little bit for quite a while now. And a few months ago, I felt God uh, speaking to me about this message today, but I, I fought him. I fought him on it. I was like, I don't want to speak this. I, I tried to get out of it. I tried to think of something else to preach on, and every time I did, this topic kept on popping into my head. You can even ask our staff. I, I did a little Devo about this a couple weeks ago, and they're like, wow, that's what you're going to preach on, right? And I'm like, I don't know. But every time I thought about something else, I just felt like God say, no, you're going to speak on this. And, and one of the reasons I didn't want to speak on this is because it's kind of a tough topic to wrap your head around, and it makes it hard to understand, and it makes it even harder to try to talk coherently about it. And so I'm going to do my best. I believe that the Holy Spirit has kind of given me some direction in this. Um, I'm excited to share. But the other part is, it's a little bit of an intense message, and it could ruffle a few feathers, and I, I don't mean it to be that way, but I just, I think it's so important for us to understand this biblical truth and this promise that God has for us, because, listen, I want nothing more, and I say this with all sincerity, I want nothing more for people in this world to know Jesus, and I want nothing more for people who know Jesus to live like the victorious life that God has promised us. And then last week, Sue uh, spoke, Pastor Sue shared uh, about not getting stuck in the past and not looking back and having hope for the future. And as I was sitting there listening to that, I was like, this is the perfect springboard into the message that I want to speak. And so I thought it's all set up. I better go for it. And uh, if, you're, if you weren't here last week or you didn't hear her message, you need to go check that out on our website. Uh, it was, it was a good reminder, and it was of something that's very powerful. And I'm going to reference a few things. Maybe I won't say Sue said last week, but I'm going to talk about some of the same things a little bit. But I want to start in the best place that we can, which is in the Word of God. So let's, let's stand out of respect for God's Word, and let's read um, about nine verses here. Romans chapter 8, verses 31 through 39. Now, this is the Apostle Paul, okay? Really quick, just want to make sure you understand. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Rome, Paul wrote like about a third of the New Testament. That's a pretty big chunk, 
not that Paul's a big chunk. The big chunk is, okay. Um, anyway, Romans is an amazing book of the Bible because it's almost like a uh, Christianity for dummies. It's kind of what it is. It's an extensive letter on what it means to live for God. So here's what Paul says, chapter 8, starting in verse 31. It says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God? Who indeed is interceding for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how big, how vast, how amazing you are. And God, we thank you for your love. God, help us today as we as we kind of sift through this, as we wrestle through this, God, give us peace, give us understanding, and God, help us to just know you more. It changes us when we do. And so I pray that you speak your words. God, I pray even if there's something in my notes that you don't want me to say or something that else you have, God, I, I just want to speak your words today. So help me do that. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Have you, um, have you ever walked through a building or a house or a room or something like that with someone else, and then when you got out, they were like, oh man, did you see those cabinets? They must have been newly installed. They're so beautiful. Or something like, uh, did, that sculpture, wasn't that sculpture in the garden, wasn't that great? Or, oh my goodness, those kids in Walmart, they were awful. And you, you were like, uh, there were cabinets? In there, I did, what sculpture are you talking about? Who's kids? Like, here's the thing. It happens to me all the time. I'm, I'm very observant in certain things, in certain things that I'm excited about, things that fit my personality, things I'm interested in. And then other things, man, I don't pay attention at all. Like, I used to, this isn't in my notes. I, I just thought of this, though. My dad, he, um, he, used, to, he used to be in road construction, and for those of you who have a father or, or a grandfather in construction, how annoying is it wherever you go, they're like, I built that road. <laughs> See that building over there? Yep, I did the roof on that building, right? My dad does that all the time, and I'm like, what are you talking about? I don't care, right? Like, it's not, <laughs> it's not my focus. I don't see these things, but you, you show me a church, I walk into a church service, and I start noticing things all over the place. We all have different focuses when we get into different situations. And focus is interesting. You know, the common consensus is that men cannot multitask. And women, they can, right? That's kind of the, the consensus. Basically, men can only focus on one thing at a time, and women can focus on many things, right? 
classic example. A guy's sitting down on a Sunday afternoon watching a football game. He's totally, his wife comes in and she starts talking. La, 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 la. Oh, sorry. <laughs> That's not what you sound like, right? <laughs> she starts talking and the guy's like, yep, 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 mm-hmm. And then she's like, so what do you think? And you're like, uh, <laughs> think about what? What I just said. Which part? The whole thing. Um, you want to say it again, <laughs> right? Like, focus, not focus. Can't do both. And then, and then you have her who is, like, watching a movie and talking on the phone and painting her nails and cooking supper all at the same time. Okay? Guys, I got some good news. Multitasking is a myth. There's no such thing. Seriously. There's no such thing as multitasking. There are studies that show that you cannot multitasking. There's something like called like switch tasking or something like that. Jeremy was telling me about this. Like you, your brain can switch from one thing to the next, but you can't put your full focus on two things at the same time. It is physically impossible. And so there are studies show that people who try to multitask actually get less done and are more stressed. And all the guys were like, mm-hmm. Right? <laughs> but if you can just focus on one thing, you're going to be more efficient and you will be less stressed in life. Now, this is good news for me. It's kind of a joke around our staff, but people know, my, my staff specifically, our pastors, when they walk into my office and I'm like typing on my computer or I'm reading the book or I'm on the phone, they just like walk in and they just kind of stand there and wait for me to acknowledge them. Because if they start talking to me, I, I won't, I just can't, I can't. And then they'll talk and I'll be like, wait, how long have you been here? Like, I don't even know that they're there. I'm the worst multitasker ever and it's kind of a joke. But I want to do a little focus exercise um, all together today, okay? I want everybody to do this. Everybody point at me. Take your pointer finger, point at me. Come on, everybody do it. Point at me. All right, now here's the question. Look at me or look at... The question is, do you see two of me, or do you see two of your finger? Okay, finger, that means you're focusing on your finger because you don't want to look at this ugly mug, all right? <laughs> now, you can very easily shift your focus. Now look at me, and now you have two fingers, right? Okay, put your hands down. You guys look funny. But it's amazing how really in life we can only focus on one thing, and everything else around us is blurry. And then as soon as we shift our focus, the other thing, some of you are like, he's crossing his eyes now. Um, everything else becomes blurry. It's, it's one thing, focus. Let me ask you this. Do you know someone who's always focused on the past? They can't seem to forgive or they can't seem to move past a certain event in their life? Do you know someone who is, always sees the glass half empty or always seems to be complaining? Do you know someone who is too afraid to try anything new or lets their circumstances hold them back? Do you know someone who always has an excuse or is just stuck in the same bummer of a life? They focus on the hurt, on the negative, on their fear. They focus on their circumstances. And if we're honest, maybe that someone is us sometimes. There are so many people who have almost like a victim mentality because they focus on the wrong things. And not just people, but Christians. Like people who have had Jesus die for them, 
not only so that they could be forgiven and go to heaven one day, but so that they could be more than conquerors, like we read in Romans chapter 8. And so I want to look at that again, Romans chapter 8, 31 through 39, and I want to dissect that a little bit and get into this topic of more than conquerors, okay? Starting in Romans 8, 31. It says, what then shall we say to these things? Okay, stop, right off the bat. I want to point out that Paul is referencing what he said earlier in the chapter, right? What shall we say about these things? This is Roman 8, Romans 8, this is verse 31. That means there's 30 verses before this. And even verse 1 in chapter 8, you know how it starts? It says, therefore, which means Paul is referencing what he talked about earlier in the previous seven chapters. It's so important for us to know the whole context in Scripture. There's so many times we can take things out of context and not understand what the authors are really trying to tell us. Here's the problem. We don't have enough time to go through all of chapter 8, let alone all of Romans today. This is why it is so important for you to be in the Word of God on your own, okay? For us to preach through the entire Bible at this church would take a lifetime, and it wouldn't be very effective. You need to be feeding yourself. So go home, read all of Romans 8 at least, and maybe you want to read all of Romans, because this is good stuff. But quick context, okay? Quick context, the first part of chapter 8 talks about how we have new life and victory over sin and its consequences. And because of that, we are children of God and should not live in the flesh, but by the Spirit. That's Romans 8 in a really quick nutshell. Okay, we have new life, victory over sin, and because of that, we're children of God and we should not live in the flesh, we should live in the Spirit. Now, we're going to come back to this idea, but this is the basic reason, the basis and the reason um, that we can be more than conquerors, okay? So we're going to keep going. The second part of the, verse 31 says, if God is for us, who can be against us, all right? This is the second half of the very first verse we're reading here, and the first half says, what should we say about what we just talked about in verses, uh, the last 30 verses? And then this half shows us what we're going to talk about for the rest of the chapter. We're going to talk about if God is for us, who can be against us? That's right there. That right there should kind of blow your mind. I mean, we could sit and just think about that and all the implications of that part of the verse right there for the rest of the time. If God is for us, who can be against us in this area of my life, in this area of my life, in this area? So, get ready. Paul's about to unpack this idea uh, that no one can come against us if God is for us. So here's the next few verses, starting in 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? It's a little confusing here, right? So let's read that again one more time. So God, the Father, who did not spare his own son, but gave his son up for all of us, how will the Father, um, will the Father not also with Jesus graciously give us all things who shall bring any charge against God's elect it is God who justifies who is to condemn Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that who was raised who is at the right hand of God who indeed is interceding for us who shall separate us from the love of Christ okay recap really quick in these verses Paul is eloquently and sometimes confusingly 
trying to help us understand. He's saying, listen, God is the one who's in charge. He's the big boss man. And he didn't condemn you. The big man did not condemn you. In fact, not only did he not condemn you, he made a way so that you could be justified, forgiven, set free. He sent his son who died and rose again. And he's on your side too. He's praying for you. Look how much he loves you. Look how much power he has. No one has the power to separate you from him, and he's not going to give you up. That's ridiculously comforting to me. Here it is. Not only is God all-powerful, meaning no one can make him do anything against you, but he also loves you so much that you will never have to worry about him walking away from you. You get that? Think about this. There are people in this world, people, that have the power to help you, right? You're trying to buy a house. You're trying to, uh, get, you're trying to make a dream come true, right? All of these things. There are people in this world that have the means to make it happen, but they don't give a rip about you, so they're not going to help you. And there's other people in this world, they love you to death, and they would do anything for you, but they don't have the means to make your dreams happen. But God, he's got both. So who's going to stop him? That's what Paul is telling us here. Now, Paul is going to start giving us a list that we tend to let get in our way a little bit. The things that we, we let these things get in our way a little bit. And, we, and these things can keep us from believing God's love is powerful enough for us to help us. So he says this, shall tribulation or distress or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword, as it is written, for your sake we're being killed all the day long, for we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. So Paul is asking us, like, should your problems keep God from you, or you from God? How about your worries, or your fears? Or what about those that bully and talk smack about you? Or what about your financial problems and your lack of resources? Should that keep God from you and you from God? Or what about physical danger or death? Do any of those things keep God's love from you or from, or from you loving him? And how does Paul answer that? Verse 37 says, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present right now, nor things to come in the future, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you hear the passion here? He says, are you kidding me? That's ridiculous. None of these things can keep God from you. None of these things can keep you from God's love. None of these things can keep him from caring about you. And they shouldn't keep you from loving him and living for him either. But so many times they do. These things keep us from living for God. They debilitate us. They make us freeze. He says, not your government, not your boss, not your friends or your parents, not even demons or Satan himself can keep you from living 
a victorious life in God. But the question is, what does it look like to live a victorious life? What does that mean? Does it mean that I'm always going to be healthy and I'm always going to have everything I need and I'm never going to be wanting? No. What does it look like to be more than a conqueror? This is the part I'm excited about because we're going to take a look at a, like four or five examples from the Bible of people who were, had like this more than conqueror mentality. We're going to start with the ultimate victor, victor story. And that, of course, is David and Goliath. All right, spoiler alert, David defeats the nine-foot-tall giant. But it's not that he defeated Goliath that makes him more than a conqueror. That's not the part that makes him more than a conqueror. David had already won the battle before he even fought Goliath, right? You see, David walks onto this scene, and you have the Philistines on one hill, and you have the Israelites on the, the Hebrews on the other hill, and there's this valley between. Goliath keeps getting up, and he's like, who is going to fight me, right? And everybody's like, ah, they're like freaking out. They let fear freeze them. And David shows up. And he decides he wants to fight the giant so no, since no one else is going to do it. And the soldiers, like, right, like his buddies, the guys on his team and the king, they laugh at him. They laugh at him. And they, they tell him he can't do it because he's too little and he isn't strong enough and doesn't have the experience. But David trusted what God said instead of focusing on the giant and what everyone else was saying. His trust and his focus on God made him more than a conqueror. In the face of fear and death, he focused on God and he trusted in God. That was what made him more than a conqueror. Read the story, 1 Samuel 17. Amazing, all right? Okay, next one. How about Joseph? Story of Joseph, one of my favorites in the Bible. Joseph and the amazing Technicolor dream coat, Donnie Osmond. Yeah, come on. So good. If you, you might be laughing. It is amazing. Watch it. Um, but spoiler again, Joseph goes on from being a slave to becoming the second most powerful man in the world. Slave to second most powerful man in the world, right behind Pharaoh himself. But that's not what makes him a conqueror, being second most powerful. What does? His kind of refuse to complain and whine and give up attitude. He just would not. See, here's what happened happens. Uh, Joseph, he gets sold into slavery by his brothers. He gets thrown into prison after being falsely accused of raping his master's wife. He gets forgotten about by the guy who said he's going to get him out of prison. And then finally, after about 22 years after God gave him that dream, he finally gets put in this position. 22 years of trials, of horrible living situation of being a slave, of being imprisoned, of being forgotten about. And through all that, Joseph doesn't complain about his circumstances, but he holds on to God's promise through it all. Read it, Genesis 37 through 50, so good. All right, Noah, Noah built the ark, right? He survived the flood. And I'm giving you the end of all of these first because if you can't tell, that's not the victory. Noah surviving, that's not the victory. Surviving wasn't it, but following God when no one else did, that's the victory. Genesis 6 tells us this, all the people on the earth were corrupt and evil, but Noah was a righteous man. 
all the people on earth. How many of you sometimes feel like this? I know some of my students in their schools, they're like, Corey, it's so hard. There's so many people who aren't following God. I know, it's hard. Sometimes you feel like the only one. But Noah was literally the only person on the planet who followed God. Everyone else had turned away. But Noah did what he knew was right in the eyes of the Lord. Read about it, Genesis 6 through 9. So good. Oh, this is another fun one. Story of Esther. Esther saved her entire nation from genocide. But guess what? You got it. That's not the victory. Like, the more than a conqueror victorious moment was when Esther overcame her fear to go before the king to petition him about the proclamation that was being made to kill all the Jews. Right? There was a guy who wanted all Jews to die, and he made the king sign this thing that's saying, let us go around and just kill all the Jews. And the king's like, okay. Right? And Esther, being the king's wife, says, wait a minute, I'm a Jew. And she's, she's asked to go before the king to make that thing go away. But she knew if she went before the king without being summoned, that it was lawful for the king to sentence her to death. And she was scared out of her mind. But she focused on what God was telling her to do instead of what her fear and her, mo her emotions were telling her. That's what made her more than a conqueror. Read the book of Esther. Such a great story. Last one. The Good Samaritan. Now this isn't even a real person. This is a story that Jesus tells, right? But the Good Samaritan, he saved a man's life and he paid for all this man's medical bills. What an amazing thing. Can you imagine if there was somebody here today that saw someone drowning or was in a car accident, you pulled them from a fiery car and the car explodes and you save their life and then you bring them to the hospital and you pay for all their medical expenses, that person would be considered a hero. But that's not what made the Good Samaritan a, more than a conqueror. The Samaritans and the Jews, they hated each other back in this time. They hated each other. But the Samaritan man, he put aside his differences and he made time to help this Jewish man who had been mugged and left for dead. Setting aside his own prejudices and beliefs and loving his enemy is what really made him more than a conqueror. Luke chapter 10. It's a good story too. Now, as you can see, or hopefully you've got the kind of the moral of the stories, stories here, right? Being more than a conqueror isn't just about winning the fight or saving lives, or having things turn out right in the end. Listen, this is what it means. Being more than a conqueror is living for God even when things are hard. It's trusting in him, putting your focus on him, even when everything else is just not going the way that you think it should. It's about listening to God instead of listening to the crowd. It's about showing love to those who have shown you hate. It's about forgiving those who have hurt you. It's about trusting God when things aren't going the way you've planned. It's about focusing on God instead of your circumstances or even your disorders. Okay. How do we do that? How do we focus on God instead of the things that we have done all of our lives or the things that have defined us for such a long time or the emotions and the actions that have driven us since whenever. How do we do that? Well, a week ago, I went over to my, friend's just, my friend Justin's house. Where's Jubs? He's in here. 
He's hiding. Where? Oh, he's on the camera. Hey, buddy. <laughs> there he is. Some of you know Justin and Matea. Um, I was over at Justin's house the other day, and one of our favorite things to do that we found is to go walking through the woods and the swamps across the road from his house. Um, we just love being out in nature and like seeing animals and stuff. But one of the coolest things to see in the woods, besides the animals themselves, is the sign of animals. Specifically, we love seeing deer trails. We'll be walking through the woods and be like, whoa, here's a good one. Come check this out. Look how wide this is. You know, whatever. Um, the reason deer trails are so cool is because you know that if there's a deer trail there, there are deer that travel that quite frequently. Because you don't create a trail like that from just walking over it once, right? Like the first time a deer walks through some place, like a swamp or a woods, you probably don't even see their tracks because the grass is so tall you can't even see the tracks underneath all of that. But after a while, you start to see the grass trampled, and then you see the mud start to show through. And then after the deer have walked there over and over and over, you have a full-blown trail where there's no grass. The tree branches maybe have even been broken off. You can see that the path is very identifiable. Before I get into the application of this, I want to invite the music team. You guys can come. This is what has to happen in our minds for us to become more than conquerors in our situations, to change our focus from victim to victor. We need to figure out how to create new thought trails. And it's not easy. It's taking our, thought taking our thoughts captive to make it obedient to Christ, like Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. It's taking the negative thought of fear, worry, anger, sin, whatever it is, that pops into our head and saying, no, no, that's not true. And then replacing it with something that is true. And it's doing it over and over and over again. You can't just take that negative thought captive one time and expect it to be gone forever. It doesn't work like that. Thoughts have a way of escaping and coming back to torment you. You have to take the thought captive and replace it with the truth again and again until it becomes a new thought trail. And at some point, you will automatically start to take that new trail instead of going down the negative old trail that you did before. Because the opposite of deer trails is, is true as well. If the deer stop using that trail, the grass, it begins to grow up and overtake that trail. It doesn't happen overnight. It takes a long time. It may even take a year or two. But if the deer stay off that trail for a while, pretty soon you won't see any signs that there ever was a trail there at all. And this new trail is the one they use. Another of my favorite chapters in the Bible talks about this, Romans chapter 12. One of, I think one of the most important verses in the Bible, it says, be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Be transformed by the renewing of your minds. That's what we're called to do when we follow, become followers of Christ. Our minds, our thoughts, our, our, our desires, all of those things should change. And the only way that happens is if we renew them and we keep these thoughts going 
getting off of this path and getting onto this one. We need to switch our focus from the negative things that have happened to us and the negative things that we have done over and over again and put our focus on the love of God that we cannot be separated from. Fear is not our future. Sickness is not our story. Heartbreak's not our home. Understand, this doesn't mean that we don't have fear or sickness or heartbreak. It means that we don't let them control us or define us or hold us back. Because we have a God who died so that we could be free from that life. Free from sin and free from the effects of sin in our world. Okay, I need you to get this, okay? Many people don't understand, but here's a little theology history lesson that is so pivotal to this. See, when sin entered the world back in the book of Genesis, not only was our relationship with God affected, but our world and all of creation was affected. See, before sin entered the world, there was no fear. There was no sickness. There was no heartbreak. There was no death. When sin entered the world, so did all of those things. But when Jesus died, listen, when Jesus died, he made a way for us to be more than conquerors. Yes, we still experience fear and sickness and heartbreak and death, but we don't have to let them define us anymore or to hold us back. We don't have to let them take us down or our attitude to look bad or our outlook on life to be negative. Instead, we can say goodbye fear, goodbye guilt, goodbye shame, goodbye to those things defining us and dominating our thoughts. Listen, man, you guys, I just think about the people around this room right now, some of my friends, and I'm so tired so tired of Christians with a victim or defeatist mindset or living a life that isn't victorious like God said we can have. We're not victims. We are victorious. I so want for followers of Jesus not to be de debilitated by fear or anxiety. My prayer for you is that you would not be stuck in sin or, or the same harmful patterns that you have been stuck in before you even knew Jesus. I want joy and forgiveness and passion to be driving factors in, in your lives. Even if it's, even if life is dealing you a tough hand, I hate saying, seeing people live lives that are so overwhelming and depressing. And listen, I'm not trying to make you feel less than if this is your story, all right? Like I said, some of my closest friends are going through so much of this. And I know that there's other factors in this and I can't just sit up here and say, have more faith, believe in Jesus more, and it's all gonna go away. I understand that there's medical things, but at the same time, I also don't want you to use anything as an excuse, okay? I want you to go after this. I really just wanna see people be more than conquerors. But if we continue to focus on all the bad things that have happened to us, that's all we talk about. Somebody comes up to you and the first thing they say is they're like, Here's all my stuff. It's like, wait a minute. That's not how we're supposed to live. We're supposed to be victorious. We let fear and worry 
of the future keep us from moving forward. Listen, if we do that, we are never going to live this victorious life that Jesus wants us to have. We have to take our focus off our problems and start looking at the God who is much bigger than all of that. The God that has love for us, that cannot be separated. We need to have that same love for him, that we cannot be separated from loving God no matter what's going on in our lives. And I know some of you have some pretty heavy stuff going on. I prayed with some of you this morning. Life is hard, but listen, God is still good and you can still follow him and have joy and peace when there should be no peace, peace that surpasses all understanding.